My name is Sarah Lipton. I am the founder of Genuine, and I am delighted to share with you this chapter from the second book in the Wakeful Wanderer series that is currently in progress by author Jim Infantino. This chapter tells the story of one of the founders of the interconnected movement and his journey to temporary safety at the start of the economic crash and climate catastrophe that shapes the world shown in the series. Brian and his husband escape from the violence of Brooklyn after drastic flooding has destroyed New York City as a hub of businesses and finance to the home of their boss along the Hudson River. This chapter tells the story of how a small group of people cope after the collapse of money, law, and governance in the mid-2000s. Interconnection Brian Fisher escaped the chaos of Brooklyn Heights, arriving at his boss's home in Croton-on-Hudson with a dozen souls from work along with their spouses, pets, and kids. Everything was collapsing. His boss, Julia Burnham-Tish, loved her employees, sending word that any who needed refuge from the looting and violence plaguing the boroughs of the flooded metropolis should come to join her at her sprawling estate. It was a no-brainer. She even sent a boat. Brian and his husband Jake packed up their most essential belongings into three suitcases, with an additional one dedicated to dog food and chew toys for their two Pomeranians, Bella and Snooker. They wore winter coats in the sweltering heat and left their luxurious loft-style apartment unlocked. The fob to the six-year-old BMW Ohm 5 in an antique marble ashtray by the entrance. They both knew there was no going back. The boat was a sleek silver-speed yacht docked at an old metro ferry station just south of the Brooklyn Bridge. It was a short but frantic walk. Jake had a baseball bat under his left arm. Brian was terrified he might have to use it. Luckily, the looters were still busying themselves with storefront goods. The couple was able to slip by mostly unnoticed in the early morning hours. Bella and Snooker followed behind on leashes, their tongues wagging. The way to the yacht was blocked by water flooding the greenway and park. They waded out through the shallows, carrying both suitcases and dogs to a dinghy, first in line to be taken aboard. Julia was there, handing out champagne. They collapsed in two lounges on the deck and Jake started to cry. The next three months saw the exit of the entirety of Julia's staff, the duties taken up by the employees and family members of a corporation that existed only on letterhead and swag. Green baseball caps with the Zadika logo, soaked through with sweat, dotted the garden, protecting the workers from the sun. Julia and her husband Malachi maintained a beneficent fiefdom, hosting meals, sharing news they gathered from Mal's shortwave, and strategizing how best to utilize the talents of their former employees to ride out the worst of the storm. Brian was a robotics engineer. Jake was a software designer. They had met at Vassar and married their senior year. Together they managed to set up a local network of routers scrounged from abandoned houses. Brian used the wireless to command his growing army of tiny robotic assistants to augment the help from the Zadika bots scattered around the mansion. Julia and Malachi had thought ahead, liberating the property from the electrical grid years prior. The couple had stockpiled food and wine in the basement. The gardens were yielding lettuces, kale, carrots, cucumbers, and melons. They had fresh water from an old well. It all looked like it was going to work out. 
And that Thanksgiving, they gathered around three long tables strung together, eating wild turkey shot by Mal, augmented by late-harvest squash and pumpkin, and drinking some of the best wine from his cellars. The grumbling, rare as it was among the families, ceased for the day. The meal was served and cleared by robots created by Brian and the others, each assistant crawling back and forth along a long ramp at the far end of the last table. Julia and Mal sat at the head of the table with their children, Maimonides and Avra. Julia made speeches, thanking God for their successes, praying for future reparations, imagining a restoration of the company and a return to normal life. She read a little from the Torah, as she did each Saturday during dinner. The former employees, cleaned and combed, were seated in order of their admittance to the yacht six months prior. Brian sat near the head next to Maimavides, a boy of five, who was playing with a toy car at the table. "'You like cars?' he asked the child. "'My dad has lots of cars,' the child replied. "'He can't drive them now. I like roads.' "'Why roads?' Brian asked. "'No roads, no cars,' Maimavides said, guiding his little Maserati up his fork and onto his plate. "'Well, you have a valid point there,' Brian responded, his admiration growing." Do you make roads to play within your room? I have track upstairs, but it's no good. It's not real road, just plastic. What would you make roads out of if you could use anything? Maimonides looked up as a robot arrived with a pitcher. Gravy, the boy said. Two months later, men began to appear at the gates. They were roughly outfitted in grimy jeans and shirts, some sporting long beards. One of them, a thin, balding man in a flannel shirt and big boots, asked for them to be let in to speak with the head of the household. They were unarmed but unafraid. There was a dark anger hanging about their heads like a thundercloud. The company people turned them away, hastily armed by Maul with shotguns and pitchforks. Julia and Malachi explained at dinner that night that they had heard of roving gangs like this one on the shortwave. There was a fury roaming the land, they said, and they feared they were the target. Sentries were selected from members of the group. Some were taught how to shoot. Many already knew. Ammunition was plentiful, Mal explained, but they shouldn't waste it. There was no way of knowing how much they might need. Brian, along with some of the other Zotica engineers, began work at once on Robotica defenses. They didn't have the resources to create an automaton that could fire a projectile— but they experimented with small bots that could deliver a poison injection or fling broken glass at an intruder. Jake became despondent. "'We should have seen this coming,' he told Brian while walking the perimeter of the property late one night on patrol. "'There was no way to see any of this coming.' "'Of course there was! Of course! There was! We always just thought there would be a solution somehow. We thought the markets would hold. We thought there would be some kind of technological fix. You heard the warnings. I heard the warnings. Greenland. That is behind us now. We have to pull it together. There's no point. This is what's happening right now, and we have to accept it and find a way forward. Brian was talking as much for his benefit as Jake's. He watched the dogs following behind them, stopping to sniff at every available landmark. Well, at least Bella and Snooker are happy. I envy them. <laughs> a dog's life. The dogs feel what we feel, Jake told him. They just don't show it the same way. Brian watched the dogs some more as they walked. Maybe they did seem a bit nervous. 
We can hold this place, Brian said, feeling sure. We have the brains here and the weapons. We are good against some random mobs. It's not their numbers that scare me, Jake told him. It's the look in their eyes. You saw it, right? They want blood. They want vengeance. They want someone to pay for what they've lost. And you think they're going to get Julia and Malachi to do it? Brian was repulsed by the idea. That's barbarism. That's tribal. What, do you agree with them? I'm in here with you, not out there with God knows what. We have plenty to eat. We're drinking French wine from decades ago in a castle on a hilltop. Our king and queen go on like they still have all the money in the world. Meanwhile, the barbarians are literally at the gate. Jake stopped to look at Brian. You think you can hold them off with a few bullets? I think we can and we will, Brian stated. We have assembled a few attack bots now. It'll terrify them. We'll make more. We have to. We will. We've been together a long time, but you never got to know my old neighborhood. It was different from yours. You never had to see that place. I didn't want you to. Brian's family had been more or less well off. Jake, on the other hand, had more humble beginnings. Brian knew that, of course, but Jake seldom talked about it. I remember what it took to survive the gangs back then, Jake continued. I know the brutality of these people. They're relentless. Regardless, Brian told him, he looked out into the dark woods past the wrought iron. We will hold this place. I hope you're right, Jake said quietly. Maybe I'm just exhausted. I'm not sleeping. Maybe you're right. I am right, my love. Let's finish this watch and I'll help you get some rest. They walked the rest of the way around the interior of the fence in silence. The men returned, three days later at noon, asking for the owners of the estate by name. This time, some of them had guns. The rest of you can go safely, the thin man said. We only want the Aristos. Aristos? What the hell is that? What do you want with them? An accountant named Brenda shouted back, her voice strong. They must be brought to justice, like all Aristos. They have to pay for what they've done. All of this. He waved an arm, indicating everything outside the fence. Is their fault? Why? Why do you protect them? They didn't do this. We all did this, shouted a psychographic media marketer named Carl. They're good people. They have kids. I had kids, the thin man roared back. I had a wife and four kids and a house and a car and a job. There were tears in his eyes. I was a good citizen. He spat the words good and citizen like they were the punchline of a cruel joke. I was a lab technician. I paid taxes. We, he indicated the mob of men seething behind him, all paid their taxes. He was jabbing a finger at the enormous house at the end of the driveway. We worked our lives away for them to sit at the top of this hill and laugh down at us while they ruined everything. We have nothing now. Nothing. Now. What we will have is vengeance. Not today you won't, Brian shouted back. Four of the attack bots crawled out of the tall weeds, past him, and down the driveway toward the gate. Acid Spitter, Shatter Tosser, Ankle Biter, and Needle Nose were their names. An engineer named Tracy watching from the balcony was sending them instructions from her tablet. The mob backed up. The thin man shouted at them, but it was no good. They were spooked. Months of a low-tech lifestyle made them vulnerable to a little robotic witchery. Brian smiled. So, you found some pretty toys to protect your masters, the thin man said, looking directly at Brian. Lucky for them you did. Lucky for now. The offer stands, he 
he shouted. Nine days. You have nine days to abandon these putrid defilers. Then we come. We only want them, not you. But if you're still here, you're just like them to us. Nine days. He turned and followed his men down the road to the right. That night, by Mal's suggestion, there were only adults at the dinner table. Amid a gloomy silence, Julia stood to speak. This is what it's come to. These people want someone to blame, and it's me. Just me and my family and the great fortune we have created and enjoyed. They don't care how hard I had to work to get where I am or where I was. They don't know what I built alone in the office of my split-level home not far from here, an idea that became a dream that became a publicly traded force for good in this world. They know nothing about me, and yet they hate me. I think it's disgusting and wrong, but I can't change their minds about that. I am not responsible for what has happened throughout the world. I was trying to fix things. She pounded the table. Mal and I have made inquiries on the shortwave, and as far as we can tell, there's no legal enforcement, no law to speak of, no one we can hire, no money to hire them with, and no working government, no sheriff, no police. There are only the people in this room. We have contacted our friends with similar resources, but they are all either in hiding or too frightened by gangs like the one you confronted today to come to our aid. That's the situation, people. I'm open to your suggestions. No one spoke. Brian looked around in disbelief. We fight them, he said at last. We all have a life here. We fight them and we win. We beat them back and make them think twice about hitting us again. There were murmurs of support for this idea, but they were far from enthusiastic. Everyone knew there would be losses. Not long ago, these people were all busy creating and promoting a wide range of robotic products in a Long Island City skyscraper. In spite of all the gardening and self-sufficiency, they were not ready for a doomsday standoff with an armed militia. Malachi suggested taking some cars and finding the band of men where they lived, taking them out a few at a time. Julia shook her head at this, but said nothing. "'It's too risky,' said Carl. "'That asshole said nine days, but we don't know if he meant it. It sounded random to me. They could be back any time before or after, and while we're out hunting for them, we leave this place unguarded. "'We can get ten or eleven more attack bots ready in a week,' offered Tracy. "'I favor more models like Acid Spitter. We can siphon more juice from the batteries. I could widen the spray.' It's ugly, but it's lethal. We could leave, Brendan said. Brian knew him from his work around the estate, but couldn't remember what he did at the company. He might have been an executive on another floor. We could just go, he said, in the yacht. Go where, Malachi said, his voice rising. Where do you think we can go? An island, maybe? One down south? I don't know, but somewhere else until this blows over and maybe come back. Brandon ventured. Back? Malachi shouted. With help. We come back with help, said Tanya, sitting across from Brandon. Help? Where exactly are we going to find help out there? Malachi bellowed. Julia set her jaw. She raised herself to her full height as she had many times in the boardroom when the hard decisions had to be made. How many of you think the best thing to do is to leave? Hands went up. Some belonged to execs like Brandon. Some were parents with kids eating alone in their rooms. There were too many hands. Julia leaned on the table, an exhausted breath escaping from her body. No, 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 she said in a voice only the closest could hear. 
Then she straightened again. Look, she began, I invited you all here for two reasons. One was because I genuinely care about all of you. You helped me make my dream a reality. The other reason was selfish. I knew that my family and I had more of a fighting chance in whatever awful chaos is engulfing the world if I had your brains and your expertise at my side, working with me to make this place an oasis. I want you all to stay. I need you all to stay because those monsters outside will eat me and my husband and my kids alive if you are not here to defend me. But no, Malachi shouted at his wife. But... I can't force you to stay, and I won't force you to face death for us. I don't think we would die. I think we would win this fight. I know we will win this fight if you are here with us. Those people outside are acting purely on anger and rage. Rage can't win against us. We are right, and I feel that rage. No one here who knows me could say I don't feel that rage. But that rage is not right. I am not the cause. My family is not the cause. We have been good to all of you. You have been good to us. We have a community here. We have a connection of interdependence. I want you to stay. I want you to stay and fight for that connection. We don't know what's happening out there. We don't know if there is a safe harbor anywhere but here. Here you are safe if we fight for it. However, don't do this, Mal told her quietly. However, I also know that I'm the reason you may not be safe here. I'm the reason this place will never be safe from bands of maniacs like that. She pointed her flat hand at the gates outside. So, we need to decide. Maybe not tonight, but very soon, like tomorrow morning, whether we're all going to defend this place together, or... You can't! Mal was weeping now. Or whether we need to find another plan, one that leaves me to the wolves but gives the rest of you a chance. You've heard me say this countless times, but our company name means something. It means something important, now more than ever before. She grabbed a ball cap from Jake's head and held it up to show the logo. Our name Zadika is from the Hebrew Tzedaka, which means doing what is right and just. I have always felt that it means more than that. To me, it is also kindness and generosity and giving selflessly without asking for anything in return. Not because nothing is returned, but because it is right and just. I have lived by that ideal, and I would die by that ideal. But you need to let me know where you stand. She put Jake's sweaty ball cap on the table upside down. If you are staying, put your name in this hat. If you don't, I'm not going to ask you. Just leave your name or don't. I won't question it. Decide by breakfast. Around midnight, a steely Julia found Brian and took him into Maimonides' room. The boy was asleep, cars and tracks covering the floor. I need, she began. I need you to do something for me, something important. Anything, Brian said. Tomorrow morning, before breakfast, I need you to go and look in the hat Count the names. If half or more of us have names in there, do nothing. Come and let me know. But, her voice was breaking, her self-control was letting go to panic. If there are less than half before breakfast, I need you to... She looked at her child sleeping. I understand, Brian said. No, you don't. I need to say it. Julia gathered up her strength again. I need you to come take Avra... Her room is through that door, and get Mem and take them to the boat. 
Don't tell Mal. Don't find me. Don't tell anyone. We have friends south of here. Old friends from before. The Lusters in Sleepy Hollow. You know where that is? Yes, Brian said, holding back his own tears unsuccessfully. You have to judge whether to come back here yourself, to see if we can beat them. I can't tell you what to do. I can only pray. At this, Julia began to sob quietly. Brian embraced her and held her there in Mem's room amid the cars and roads that were not good roads, and they let go of all their courage and wept together as equals. The next morning, Brian rose from bed early and waited. Then he went downstairs to look in the cap. There were too few. The one on top read Jake. This has been a production of Genuine. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the Wakeful Wanderer's Guide and read excerpts, visit jiminfantino.com. That's J-I-M-I-N-F-A-N-T-I-N-O.com. To learn more about Genuine, visit genuinenetwork.org.